This is a Federal News Network podcast. A contractor was working in a zone infested with a dangerous virus. The World Health Organization declared a public health emergency. The contractor was able to get a delay from the contracting officer, but not much more. Another lesson from the Ebola outbreak back in 2015. Here with lessons learned, procurement attorney Joseph Petrillo of Petrillo and Powell. And Joe, this case really does have echoes of today, even though it was in another country in another time. (laughs) But uh, tell us about this case. Sure. Uh, This involves a contract by the State Department awarded to a company called Pernix Circa Joint Venture to uh, create by construction a rainwater capture and storage system in Freetown, Sierra Leone. And it was being performed in the latter part of 2013 into 2014. In March of 2014, an Ebola outbreak occurred in neighboring Guinea. And four months later, it had spread to Sierra Leone and the capital Freetown. This was obviously a a big problem for the contractor. And by August, it had asked for uh, guidance from the contracting officer. And the contracting officer basically said, well, obviously, the safety of your workers should be of utmost concern, but the decision about what you're going to do, you're going to stay, leave, that rests entirely on your shoulders. On August 7th, the contractor gave notice of delay, and the next day, three things happened. Uh, The World Health Organization declared an international public health emergency. The State Department decided to evacuate family members of embassy personnel from Freetown, Sierra Leone. And the contractor decided it had to shut down operations. It demobilized, brought a lot of its people out of the country, and notified the State Department. Contracting officer replied, fine, we understand why you're doing this, but you're going to get an extension of time and no extra uh, funds to perform the contract. And that decision or that uh, stance was based on a fairly standard uh, contract clause that appears in most government contracts. And it lists a variety of excusable delays. And among those excusable delays, these are basically the kinds of things you'll find in a force majeure clause in a commercial contract. It lists epidemics and quarantine restrictions. Sure. So clearly the same kind of situation you found in Ebola, in the Ebola outbreak in Africa, and you're finding around the world today with COVID-19. So the contractor got at least the extension without the penalty or, you know, they, they realized they could delay the work. I mean, everyone understood that, but no other compensation. That was exactly. All right. So what happened next? Well, you know, the contractor um, had a fairly significant set of additional costs because of this remobilization and it submitted claims to the contracting officer. They tried to negotiate for years and years. And finally it went to the board of contract appeals and asked for relief from the Board of Contract Appeals. And again, the basic obstacle it faced was this distinction in the contract between excusable delays, which give you time but not money, and compensable delays, which give you both. And so in this particular case, the you know contractor tried some various theories. It said there was a cardinal change or a change in the contract. You know, but those theories foundered on the fact that the contracting officer had never directed the contractor to do anything in particular, hadn't told the contractor, hadn't stopped work, hadn't told the contractor what to do. And the, uh, the Ebola outbreak was not something that was the fault of the government in its contractual capacity. So 
the bottom line is the contractor was denied relief in the uh, appeals process. And so far as I know, it hasn't gotten any. We're speaking with procurement attorney Joseph Petrillo. I guess the question then is, in the current situation, what should contractors try to seek? And can you get around a contract clause that doesn't have compensation in it? Can that be altered in light of what's going on? Well, we've got a couple of possibilities for the contractor, and it's not necessarily an easy path to take. If the contract has a stop work order clause, uh, the government can issue a stop work order, and that does provide for compensation to the contractor. Under some circumstances, suspension of work clause can, but there are additional obstacles there which make a less likely route for relief. And then you've got the CARES Act, which uh, has Section um, 3610 uh, that's going to permit the government to uh, provide compensation to the contractor if it needs to pay its employees during a period when they can't work in order to keep them available to work on government contracts. Now, that sketches out the basic idea, but it's being implemented in different ways by different agencies. You should consult the guidance of the specific agency, and it it does require some discretion and affirmative action by the government to get the contractor relief. So this sounds like one of those instances where there's a law and a desire and kind of a trend that sometimes founders at the doorstep of contracting officers. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would be very surprised if this were administered in any you know extremely uniform or automatic way. I think it's going to be on a case-by-case basis, and contractors are going to have to try to work with their contracting officers to get appropriate relief so that they can keep their workforce ready to go when things start up again. All right. So I guess that leads to the bigger question. What does the contracting scene look like to you and your clients right now, given all that's going on? Well, there's a lot of ferment and there's a lot of uh, variation of how things are working out. But one thing I think is, is I hope, clear from the situation we're in, and that is that the acquisition function is not some little sideshow in, in various agencies. It's an extremely important function. When you need to get things done under difficult circumstances, when you need additional equipment that you may not have stocked, it's the acquisition workforce you turn to. And it's their expertise that's going to get that for you. I mean, I've seen some complaints by higher ups in government that, you know, they're not supply clerks or didn't take the job to be a supply clerk. And I think the idea that this is a, some automatic clerical boring function, I hope that idea has been scotched because it takes skill, especially under difficult circumstances, to get the stuff you need quickly and at a good price. Joseph Petrillo is a procurement attorney with Petrillo & Powell. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, 
it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.